You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. I'm Andrew Kingsley, as always, with Drew Kaiser, and we're excited today because we are starting a new project. We're getting in a new book. You know, we Every get podcast, we start out saying, we are excited today. It's just... We're doing this. We're always excited. We have fun no, here. God. Especially today, because we have a new book. So all those other times when we say we're excited, maybe don't listen to us. But the first episode of the new book, <laughs> you can you can believe us. We're not well, lying. Well, it is a refreshing change of pace. Yeah. You know, it just kind of keeps us going. Each new book is 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 kind of shot a shot in the arm. So yeah, we're we're excited, moderately excited, moderately excited. I'm very excited for this one. Um, what we're going to be doing is Daniel. I don't think I've said that yet. Our new book is Daniel, which you which you already knew when you clicked on this particular episode. I'm excited to get into this book. This is a book that I definitely need some more time in study. Most of the time I've spent in Daniel would have been as a kid. I think everyone can relate to that as a kid learning the stories in the first six chapters. Um, I think everybody's going to be very familiar with those six chapters, the grand scheme of things at least. Uh, and then we'll get to the second half of the book to those visions. Yeah, it's like That's people weird. have no idea about the second half of Daniel. Yeah, it's very at this point it's very intimidating to me because I know there's a lot of connections with. Um, or supposed connection to either one with Revelation and end of time and that kind of thing. So um, that's interesting to me to get into, uh, to learn a little bit. So uh, today we're going to just break right into this thing. Um, and Drew has our outline uh, for the introduction, and also we're going to cover chapter one. Yeah, uh, we're calling this episode Kidnapped, and I'll explain that title in a moment. First, let's get the theme of the book, though, underway. I think everybody agrees that the book of Daniel, if it's about any one thing, it is about the sovereignty of God. Uh, This is a really interesting theme, uh, and Daniel's setting makes it come out clear because Daniel's not in Jerusalem. Uh, He is in Babylon, and yet God, even in Babylon, is in control. Wherever you go on the map, he's in control. That's what the sovereignty of God is all about. There is a God, and he is in charge of his world, regardless of the nation or the circumstances. We're going to give you just a brief, familiar by now, historical background. It's the same historical background that lay behind Jeremiah, Mm -hmm. Ezra, Nehemiah to some extent, Esther, um... Ezekiel. Ezekiel. We haven't done Ezekiel yet, but we've done those other books. And, uh, you know, Daniel, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were all contemporaries. This is a really interesting thing to think about. Jeremiah stayed with Jerusalem until they kidnapped him and took him to Egypt. See our Jeremiah podcast for more information. Um, But Jeremiah lived through the horrors and the atrocities of the siege in Jerusalem. At the same time, Ezekiel had been taken captive and brought to a concentration camp of sorts. So he was he was with his people, but in a captive situation. Now, you know, Jeremiah had sent them letters saying, build houses and get married. And so it's hard. I don't really know what their cap- 
captivity was like. Something above Hogan's heroes, I'm thinking. You know, it's... Okay. Like, you know, uh, Andrew doesn't know what Hogan's heroes is. It, it was a life, but of course it was a life away from home. Hulk Hogan? No. Not no. Hulk Hogan. Something different. Please. Daniel was in Babylon, while Ezekiel was by the Kebar Canal in a concentration camp away from home, and Jeremiah was home. Daniel was in Babylon. So he was in a palace, you know, he was well-fed, as we'll see. He he had clean clothes, but he was working for the enemy, in in a sense. And uh, so the background is the siege of Jerusalem. You know, that happened in phases. If you've listened to all of our podcasts and you're going in order, you know that Nebuchadnezzar did not take Jerusalem down all at once. He started with a first phase that included Daniel in 605, took away some of the best, most talented young people in Jerusalem uh, during the reign of Jehoiakim. And then um, more were taken later, and then finally the city was destroyed. That's where our text begins. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, describe the attack by Babylon. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim was not the last king of Judah. That would be Zedekiah. Right. So we know that this is just the first initial phase of Nebuchadnezzar's siege. And it's like he's just trying to cripple the people. He wasn't originally intending on destroying uh, Jerusalem. And this was 605, right? Uh, Yes, 605. So Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Remind me, Jer- uh, I was starting to call you Jeremiah, uh, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, Jeremiah. We're getting close. I'll just do the rest oh, Andrew, of them for you. Andrew, remind me, or Daniel or Jeremiah, if you're in here somewhere. Yeah. Remind me about Jehoiakim. Wasn't he the king that spent l- almost his whole life in captivity and he was well fed? And at yes. the end of Jeremiah, he, we're reading about. And he wound up getting, or he wound up getting released, right? Yeah, when he was, was old. Jehoiachin yeah. was the one that did not have oh a good end, right? Maybe we need to go back and review our notes. All right, I'm just going to do this on the air so you can see how informal this really is. Somebody listening is shouting the information to us, probably. Or someone else listening is going, who are these people? Others have just turned their Yeah, they've already moved on to a new podcast. It was Jehoiachin. He had the good setup. Right, and Jehoiakim died en route to Babylon or something like that, I think. So, okay, okay. we got that. Jehoiakim was the one that was cutting up uh, Jeremiah's scroll and throwing it into the fire. So you read a lot about this guy in the book of Jeremiah. It was also during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he came to besiege it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and I have already read that. So um, there's secular history here. We learned that this is the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. 
this is Nebuchadnezzar coming to besiege Jerusalem, uh, the first phase of the captivity. And then there is biblical theology in verse 2, which tells us that this wasn't due to the power of Nebuchadnezzar or the weakness of Jehoiakim, but the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar with some of the vessels, etc., etc. So it's very important to see the theme in the very first couple of verses of the book. The theme is the sovereignty of God. Right. It wasn't by Nebuchadnezzar's hand. wasn't by the hand of Jehoiakim. wasn't by the hand of Daniel. It was by the hand of the Lord. So we see the attack by Babylon. Secondly, we'll notice the training in Babylon, and that is where verse 3 picks up. The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand at the king's place and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. This is a plot point here that will become very important in a moment. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Who and are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, you're thinking, I, don't, I only know Daniel out of that. No, you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is a rare case, just to pause here and make a comment on these three friends of Daniel, where their foreign name that was given to them is more familiar to us the, the, than their Hebrew, Hebrew name. Names, yeah. And most other cases, like Daniel himself, he was given a foreign name, Belshazzar, but we don't call him that ever. Because uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I think <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rolls off the tongue pretty good, and that's why we know those names better. Worked for VeggieTales. Does it? Yeah. Okay. Which episode is that? <laughs> Rack, Shack, and Benny. <laughs> the Chocolate Factory. I haven't seen that one. The Idol's a giant chocolate bunny. Oh, man. That's what you get wow. when you have younger siblings that are seven years younger than you are. Yeah. Well-cultured. Well. Uh, I do want to... Let me uh, insert something actually useful here. Oh, um, and I got Daniel's name wrong. Verse 7, Belteshazzar. Yeah, Belteshazzar. Yeah. That's why we don't say it. Uh, but it does say youth without blemish. And I'm looking at uh, your class notes here, Drew. Um, when we say youths, we're probably thinking about teenagers. Uh, it's uncertain... Uh, but probably teenagers, right? Yeah, uh, younger teenagers even. There was there was one person called youth, like Rehoboam was called youth when he was about forty years old. So it is, you know, uncertain. But we know how long Daniel lived, all the way up. I think the end, the last verse of this chapter it makes says, no way to Cyrus, right? Until the first years. year of the king of Cyrus. He's got another 40 years, at least. Yeah, at least. He yeah. lived pretty much through the entire 70-year captivity. This is 605. Cyrus comes in 70 years later. So yeah. how could he be 40? I mean, you know, in the Bible we're accustomed to long lifespans, but not at this point. At this point, everybody's living about the same lifespan that your average American lives. So if he's 70 years in captivity then if he were 17, he would have been 87 when he died. Mm-hmm. If he were 20, you know, you go on up, how, how old could this guy be? He had to have been a very young man. 
which I think helps us understand what's going on in the text and build an even greater appreciation for Daniel. Right. Uh, the next section is commitment in Babylon, verses 8 and following. Um, Daniel resolved. There's the commitment. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Do you understand the eunuch's situation here? He's responsible for these guys. And the king gave them to him to get them ready in three years. And he's saying, you know, Daniel, if you're skin and bones at the end of the three years, I'm dead because I didn't do my job. So Daniel said uh, in verse 12, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So Daniel's a very reasonable person even in his young years. Ten days uh, is not long enough to do um, irreversible damage to their bodies. If they're vegetarians for ten days uh, and it doesn't work, Daniel's in essence saying, we'll eat your meat and drink your wine if this doesn't work. So he knew, of course, what was going to happen. At the end of the ten days, they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So they were able to keep to their diet. Um, I need to start eating vegetables. Uh, yes, yeah, you every once in a while would help, Andrew. <laughs> then we get blessings in Babylon. This is the end of this section, beginning in verse 15. Um, you know, like I said, they looked better, healthier than all the others. And uh, as for these four youths, verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. I read that as a distinction. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got the wisdom, learning, skill, but they didn't have the interpretation of visions and dreams. That blessing belonged to Daniel alone. And um, he continues that when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom, because those guys were frauds. Mm -hmm. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So as we say, the author gives you a pretty clear idea that he's in for a long service, uh, I started to say ministry, Maybe that's what it is. We'll talk about it a little more after the break. We're back for the think section of our podcast and, uh, 
Some interesting things in chapter one. Uh, some question marks is probably coming up in people's heads. And so we're going to go through them, and we're just going to go with the, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the Unix. You know, everybody wants right. to know about the Unix. Now, first of all, Andrew, I may have missed it, but does it necessarily say that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were Unix? Does it say that? They were over they were overseen by the chief eunuch. I read that. Yeah. Uh, the chief eunuch That's what I read. Ashpenaz. But you know, this question always comes up when you're talking about Daniel one in particular, but Daniel in general. People want to know was Daniel a eunuch? Or you know, a preacher will say, and Daniel was probably a eunuch. So I think the first thing that we should say is we didn't read and I may be missing something big here, but we did not read that he was a eunuch. Correct? Right. We didn't read that in the text. Now, uh, I don't know just from ignorance here, but I wonder if there's any tradition in Babylonian history or any any writings in Babylonian history of where they would take their captives and pick out the strongest, best-looking I guess when it says best looking, or the, uh, I guess it really means the most healthy looking, the ones they right. think can help yeah, them yeah. out the most, is definitely definitely the idea. The ones with wisdom, knowledge, understanding, learning, competent, all that stuff. Or if they would take them... Um, well, now, in the they took the, the people in verse 3 who were taken, are the royal family, nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful, yeah. endowed. So he didn't just bring a... a Random. Yeah, he brought group. in. Yeah, I'm talking about. So this group that confirms the, what you're saying. The youth without the Babylonian history. You have are, it right here. Yeah, but I'm wondering if with the Babylonian history, there's an added thing to it where they would take those youths and make them eunuchs. Oh yeah. Or what they would do with them. Why exactly it was the king would assimilate them into Babylonian culture. Obviously, to have some more good help around. You know, maybe they're an upgrade in some places. Mm-hmm. But it makes you wonder, you know, what would they do? Where would they put them? You know, once they trained them, what was the goal? Were they going to put them in the army? Were they going to put them in the service to the temple gods? Mm-hmm. What were they going to do with them? These, I understand, to be the king's advisors. You know, they're compared with um, magicians and enchanters which were basically there to give the king advice, to give him a, a one-up on everybody else, supposing that he had access to spiritual forces more powerful than physical forces. So if they're grouped in with those guys, these four Hebrews were brought up with them, educated to be king's advisors. Right, yeah. And so, um, Which would make it less likely that they were, in fact, eunuchs. Well, you know, the famous like... eunuchs of the Old Testament are, um, they're not famous, but in the book of Esther, you've got mm-hmm. two eunuchs mentioned in Esther chapter 2. I wrote them down, Haggai, not Haggai, but Haggai, uh, that's chapter 2, verse 3, and uh, Shash, Shashgaz, verse oh, yeah. 14. Everybody knows Shashgaz. Right on. <laughs> and uh, Shashgaz and Haggai... We're in the unfortunate position of being chosen to watch over the king's harem. 
And they were eunuchs. And so, look, uh, we're not going to define eunuch on here, okay? Everybody knows what a eunuch is. Look it up in a dictionary. <laughs> don't Google it. <laughs> and if you don't know what it is, and then knowing what it is, it would make sense. I, I hesitate to say make sense because now it sounds like I'm approving of this, which I'm not. It's a horrible practice. But you can understand why a horrible king like Ahasuerus, who was horrible enough to have a harem, could be horrible enough to literally make these guys eunuchs so they would keep their hands off of his harem. To do what Paul was talking about in Galatians. That's the same thing. Um, yeah, that's in there. I'm speechless. Okay. Yes, mutilate. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking okay. about. All right, um, and then you know. But I do think. Let me let me pause here because I feel like we're about to move on. No, I think you, I'm not. Okay, but I think you solved my question of, well, what were they being trained to do? Now maybe there were groups of you're trained. You're going to be a soldier. You're going to be a, a whatever you know different offices. But I think you did. The fact that it says they were ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters makes it seem like. You know, if they were going to be soldiers or if they were going to be eunuchs, maybe you'd say they were ten times better than all the other soldiers. You know? Well, yes, um, and I don't think they would do this to a soldier. Um, yeah, oh, I think that um, they do this for more reasons than keeping them unattached to women. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they believed it would make these men milder it would also subjugate them it would show them the cruelty the lengths to which their captors would go to subdue them you know there's a lot of psychological things going on in this and look it's it's possible very possible that daniel was a eunuch yeah um now here's another thing a lot of times eunuch takes the metaphorical meaning of just a court official. In fact, the New American Standard Bible chose to translate this court official instead of eunuch, which is an interesting move for that translation, it being usually taking the literal approach. Um, So, you know, it may just be that the word itself did not have its literal meaning necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, Which seems to make more sense. Jesus used the term figuratively in Matthew 19 when he's talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And he said some uh, some men are eunuchs by birth, talking about birth defects. Some are made eunuchs by other men, and some choose to be eunuchs for the kingdom of God. And what he was saying there is some choose a celibate lifestyle like Paul did, like the mm-hmm. Lord did, so they could devote themselves 100% to God. Yeah. Um, so, you know, probably a figurative reference here. I, I'm going to choose to think of it in terms of a court official. Now, we never that read of Daniel having a wife, but that doesn't mean anything, really. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know why. They, they have no reason to do it. Well, it seems unlikely to me that Daniel would have taken a wife of Babylonian nationality anyway. Yeah, so, but there, there somehow, were a lot of Jews there. Yeah. Unless he maybe worked in the palace with one. I don't know. But that that's too much speculation, I think. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think the court official was the most likely 
solution to that question. Right. And Especially it, with the uh, New American Standard rendering it court official. Yeah. That's a pretty good piece of evidence there. I think so. I mean, I like that translation. It's not what we read from, but it is what I went through grad school with because I just um, I trust it. And of course, it's not perfect, but anyway, let's get off that because we should have spent like three minutes on that. Um, what's more interesting, and it does tie into the question of whether or not he was made a eunuch, what's more interesting is the brainwashing that's going on here or the attempts by Babylon to make these young men conform to their not just their ways, not just their rules but their culture to make them Babylonian like exactly. to identify more with Babylon than they did with Israel yes, exactly it's a tough thing to do they, they did four things um, and the first one was isolation they got them out of their homeland we talked about this a lot during Jeremiah, that this was a military tactic that was familiar in those days. Uh, the foreign oppressor would remove the people from their homeland, making it less likely for them to regroup and form a rebellion of some kind. And you get isolated away from other Jews, and you just have your three friends there, and you're surrounded by Babylonians, maybe that will help you become a Babylonian. The second thing they did was indoctrination. I find verse 4 interesting. They were taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. That language being Aramaic. Mm-hmm. And that language being the common tongue of the Jews in Jesus' day. Yeah, Part of this book is actually written in Aramaic. Yeah, right. right. You know, uh, we usually say the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek. A lot of people don't understand that. Daniel 2 through Daniel 7 was penned, we assume, by Daniel in Aramaic. Mm -hmm. Or maybe uh, Daniel used a lot of um, court records, uh, Babylonian records, and those were in Aramaic, and he obviously knew Aramaic. But this came from the captivity. When they returned during Daniel's lifetime, they were speaking a different language. Now, it's related to Hebrew, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a Semitic very, language. It's very similar. Um, I took it in college, and it was right after I got done taking Hebrew. But you had to take Hebrew first, and then you would take Aramaic. So it goes right to left? Yes. It goes right to left. It's the same character set, same okay. alphabet, same uh, dots for the vowels. Uh, but some of the vocab words are different, and there are different rules. So you learn all those rules in Hebrew, and then you kind of relearn different rules with Aramaic which then makes going back to Hebrew for me really tough mm-hmm. uh, they're very similar uh, but they do have they do have some differences that made uh, translating from Aramaic kind of a it was really hard for me it was really tough which is why I'm struggling to explain it right now mm-hmm. uh, that was a that was a tough class for me but it's very interesting um because it's where a lot of uh, wordplay comes from, I guess, in the New Testament also. Yeah. Uh, some really interesting stuff in Aramaic. Because uh, you'll see a few of those phrases sprinkled in, especially by Mark. Mm-hmm. I think he's the one that uh, had Talitha Kumi or whatever when yeah. Jesus 
was healing Jairus's daughter. Yeah, that's one I remember. Aramaisms or yeah, however you say them. It's really interesting uh, if you like looking at the old languages. Aramaic is definitely worth your time. No, uh, it was tough for me, but it's. And I know this is really confusing to our audience because Babylon seems so foreign to the Jews, and we read the the descriptive here, the Chaldeans. So I think we need to say that Babylon, the Chaldeans, Aram, Aramaic, A, mm-hmm. Ara, did I say it right? Aramaic, Aramaic yeah. Aram. Which you see sometimes in the Old Testament, those are Syria. all the same. Mm-hmm. Syria? Mm-hmm. Aram. Syria. Those Syria? I yeah. thought it was more like Iraq. Uh, and Syria was Syria. Because you read about Syria mm-hmm. as a nation. I'm pretty sure it was in our. In 2 Kings. And Aram Naaman, and our, you know, was a. We might have to go back and cut this out. No, I'm liking it because I think I'm right. But I'm pretty sure Aram in our. Uh, as a vocab word in our Hebrew dictionary is Syria. I okay. Can, I, can, I can check it. We're going to we're gonna check that in the break and come back. That'll yeah. get our listeners to hold on. Yeah, I'm sure they, they can't wait to find out if um, they ran with Syria or not. One last little trivia about Aramaic. That was probably the language of Abraham because he came from Ur of the Chaldees. Mm-hmm. And so he was Chaldean. Yeah. But God sent him to Canaan and he became... You know, at that time, there were no Jews because we're looking at the first one, Abraham. So he had to come from some country, and he came from this country. Mm-hmm. That, ironically, is imprisoning his descendants yeah, and being used as a tool for God's wrath. So they did indoctrination, gave him the language and the literature. By the way, Babylonian literature is very, very rich in history just as Jewish literature is. You know, maybe the most famous example is the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a Babylonian document. About uh, the flood, or a, about a worldwide flood. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so the third thing they do is compromise, where the king gives them a daily portion of the food that he eats and the wine that he drinks. Um, we'll say more about that later. And then finally, identity. We've already talked about the fact that they changed their names and your name was who you were back in those days. It's a lot, it was a lot more important than it is today. Yeah. Today we try to find interesting, pretty names, you know, in, fun names. Uh, they are just labels we slap onto people. They don't define who you are. Right. But they felt a name defined you in those days. Right. So this was another part of the oppression, stripping their identity from them or t- attempting to. Daniel's name meant God is judge. Hananiah meant Jehovah is gracious. Mishael meant who is what God is. And Azariah means the Lord helps. You see how important their faith was to their names, and Babylon took that away from them. So you can see they're really exerting um, influence here to try to turn these men into Babylonians after they had been Jews. One more thing. Um, another question I think is a fair question is, what was wrong with this food? You know, I, it, it wasn't like a teetotaler thing where Daniel was like, we don't drink alcoholic beverages and this is wine. We, You know, wine could have been just grape juice. It could have been a mildly alcoholic wine. It, it was presented here as a beverage, not as a party drink. Yeah. 
do you agree with that? Yeah. You know, so it, this wasn't an um, ethical dilemma concerning alcohol here. So take that off the table. So they don't want to eat meat. They don't want to eat wine. Did it have to do with the vegetarian, the ethics of veganism? I don't think that's it either, even though they said, well, eat vegetables only. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple of things that we forget about, and one is that the Jews were held to strict dietary rules. And those rules were not no meat, but it was no unclean animals, yeah. particularly pork. Yeah. They didn't eat pork. Um I'm sure that the king enjoyed a pork loin every once in a while, or bacon, or yeah. whatever. However, they probably just roasted a pig on a spick, and then, uh, you know, just something kind of like bacon. Yeah, right. Which is delicious. Yeah, but uh, I'm, now I'm just sitting here thinking about you know, this most bacon back then. You know, they might have eaten a lot of other things, horses and yeah, there's no ostriches telling. and you know, I mean. It, in some parts of the world, they eat things that we really turn our nose up at. I yeah. mean, things that would have been considered unclean. Um, any number of like insects or uh, rodents. Or yeah, rodents. Like um, even today, my brother lives in Peru, and you go down there, and they're eating guinea pigs. Yeah, which is detestable to me. Yeah, especially the way that they prepare them. They just fry the guinea pig. You know, they just throw it in the fire. Yeah, they don't even. <laughs> And when it comes out, really? you get, the hair has been singed off, and <laughs> yeah. its mouth is agape, and its legs are sticking up in the air. Uh, mm. You go to all over the world, and they're eating different Making things. Yeah, everybody's seen Indiana Jones, where they're eating the monkey brains. Yeah. So I'm not saying they eat monkey brains or yeah. anything. And it was stuff that would have been less... I mean, some of it might have been gross, but the problem would not have been as gross. It would have been... This is illegal. deemed as unclean by God. Yeah, it's illegal to eat this kind of food, which is why, you know, another point of why Daniel's uh, faith and that of um, the other three is so inspiring. Really, here, you know, they're trying to be uh, Babylon's trying to brainwash them into losing their Hebrew identity, mm-hmm. losing their identification with the God of their fathers, their God, uh, but still, even in spite of that, they're, you know, they're maintaining even down to the laws of what they eat. Right. Let me read a section from Exodus 34, uh, verse 12. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. Uh, And then he goes on down to say, Unless you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. And, you know, in the New Testament, this was a problem in the church with Jews and Gentiles. Do I eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols? And Mm -hmm. Paul said, that's not wrong. It's not illegal anymore. But it's not a good idea if it's going to cause a stumbling block. Right. So there are a lot of reasons why Daniel and the others chose not to eat the food outside of, you know, intoxication or, or you know, veganism. The bottom line for them is that it was against God's law to do it. And mm-hmm. that's ultimately the stopping point for Daniel and for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego throughout the whole thing. That's why we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. They would go as far in obeying 
um, Nebuchadnezzar as they could without disobeying God. That applied everywhere, even to food. And what we're going to see that's remarkable in the book of Daniel is that um, defiance but respect for the country as well. Right. That silent defiance, the nonviolent defiance, the conscientious objection. Yeah. You know, they really present a great example that's been followed by a few through the years. I'm thinking about like Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. that have shown the the power of humility over power. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm really excited about getting into some of those examples. As we move on. But uh, let's take another break. When we get back, what are we supposed to fact check here? We're going to fact check some of the Just comments. a vocab word. Uh, Aram. Series. Yeah, yeah. We're going to find out where Aram was. Aram. Or Aram. Aram. And uh, when we come back, we promise to reveal the answer to you. say this, but I owe Andrew an apology. Aram does appear to be affiliated with the country of Syria. For once in my life, I was right on something that I... Okay, so the cap, the it's a very head. general term. They were wiped out before the northern kingdom was wiped out by Assyria. So by Daniel's day, the country itself had not been a solid country or a threat in any way. Yeah. For several years, several hundred years. So here's what must be happening, though. Uh, Aramaic was spoken by the Chaldeans, but it was, you know, maybe it originated with Syria. The language. Yeah. It, it was just like we speak English, but we don't live in England. Right. You know, in Mexico, they speak Spanish, but they don't live in Spain. So. You got it. You know, I think you nailed it. This time, but before the break, I did not <laughs> nail it at all. Put a nail in my coffin, maybe. <laughs> all right, let's get practical. This is the third part of the podcast where we apply. So there, there are some good lessons here and maybe a question of application. Uh, I want to start in verse 9. This is a very important verse to the theme of sovereignty and to also the, the point of the book. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So by grace, Daniel receives both favor and compassion from this eunuch. First question here, Andrew, is are we reading about a miracle? Was this guy possessed? Did God uh, you know, put these thoughts into his head that he would not have had on his own? Was it like a... You know, like a these are not the drawers you're looking switch, for. Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the question. How does that work? Where this man mm-hmm. feels favor towards Daniel and compassion towards Daniel, and the credit is given to God. Well, I think you have the same kind of situation that you have with. This reminds me of Joseph, and it reminds me of yes. Esther. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. same kind of language, and I'm looking for the exact. The exact verse in Genesis. Well, I think with Joseph it says, says and the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, you know. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly the same as this, but I think a good that's a good yeah. comparison. Yeah, the wording isn't the same, but it does remind me of you know Potiphar. He gets favor in this in the eyes of Potiphar. Yeah, he does find favor in the eyes of Potiphar. Uh, yeah, because Potiphar noticed that you know the Lord blessed everything that he did. Yeah. So uh, and then when he gets in prison, you know, again he got put in charge in prison. Uh, he found favor in the side of the keeper of the prison. That's a little less internal than this, though, because yeah. you know. Okay, so the Lord was blessing everything Joseph ter- touched turned to gold, kind of thing. You know, he was just good. He was talented, and uh, he had this God that Potiphar didn't serve. So Potiphar put two and two together and said, "You know, this person's special because of his God. I'm, I can trust him." Mm-hmm. Uh, at least until his wife started hitting on him, and then all of a sudden he throws him in prison. But the same thing happens in prison. Same thing happens. In Egypt, and with Esther, you know, similar things. This seems really subjective, like internal, in the mind of the chief eunuch. And, and I guess I ask the question, I just wonder, can we? is this a miracle? Can we expect this kind of thing today? You know, no. will God, you know, if we're in a situation where there's a lot riding on us, do we pray that God will soften the heart of the person we're trying to convince? Is that an appropriate prayer? What kind of expectations should we have? Yep. Is it providential? Is it miraculous? Well, I think you can definitely pray that, but you got to keep in mind you could get the answer. You could get an answer like the chief of the eunuchs here and get compassion and favor, or you could get one like Pharaoh with Moses, whose Hard heart, heart is just continually hardened. I mean, that is a good point about what is meant here because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think my interpretation of Pharaoh's hardened heart is that Pharaoh's heart was hardened by his own um, pride and his position plus the damage that was being done by God progressively to his country. And God's not wiping him out just immediately, but yeah. slowly progressing in the plagues. Because in other places it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, and in other places it says his magicians hardened his heart. Mm-hmm. So we'll say, that doesn't mean God directly you know, went into his heart and turned it into stone. Yeah, He didn't take away his free moral agency. That's the debate here. What about the free moral agency of mankind? Man's being made in the image of God so that he makes his own decisions. Has that been compromised with Pharaoh? So we say that with Pharaoh, but then we come over here to this chief eunuch, and all of a sudden we're into possession and taking away the free moral agency of man. And 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 I think that you know the explanation for Pharaoh may apply here. That and this is the theme of the book of the of Daniel. God is over everything. He get he is credited with everything because he could stop everything or he could start everything yeah. if he wanted to, and he chose to allow this eunuch to be impressed by Daniel. I think that's probably the best best explanation we can get. It's he it's a little more nuanced than just saying God zapped him. Yeah, you know, I don't think the world works that way. No, and so I think we can pray for this kind of thing if if what our interpretation is is right. If we take that nuanced yeah. approach and understand there are a lot of variables, God can use the variables 
He can use the circumstances in remarkable ways. And we just pray for those circumstances to work like they do here. Yeah. You know, we don't necessarily pray, God, will you possess my basketball coach tonight so I can get in the game? Yeah. Like, I don't, right. Maybe that's the only way some folks are getting in the ball game, so they're praying that. But, but you you're know, studying, let's say you're studying with somebody that you'd like to become a Christian. Yeah. I've prayed this. Lord, open this person's heart. So that she will hear the truth and, and mm-hmm. give her the courage to obey the truth. Or, you know, we pray for our ruler our leaders in our country. We pray, you know, for our voters in our country mm-hmm. um, that they will wake up. You know, uh, that's not inappropriate. And it is analogous to what is going on here. Um, yeah. How about another one? You ready to move? Yeah. All right. So here, here's another practical point we see a counterculture in Daniel 1 just like you see with Vashti in Esther 1 Vashti is asked to play along with cultural uh, activities Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are wrong and she refuses to do it she's not going to go with the flow Daniel's asked to play along it is against his faith He's not going to do it. We see him do this in Daniel chapter 6. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do it in Daniel chapter 3. Mm-hmm. So it's this countercultural movement, but it's not. it doesn't come in the form of protests and violence. It's a calm, rational, submissive attitude. Yeah. And so, yes, it's a rebellion but not in the way we normally think of it. It's not like this raised shouting kind of rebellion. Right. Cuz I it's, think we it's think not of, Okay, it's not Malcolm X, it's Martin Luther King Jr. You know, yeah. those guys at the same time were dealing with the same problem. Malcolm X was like kill all the white people or mm-hmm. kill the people that I mean, he he called for violence. Yeah. And King, he said, you know, if we march, we Use our First Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. Let them put us in jail. Let them do what they want with us. Uh, we're going to resist in a nonviolent way. Yeah, and uh, that's counterculture, but it's not, you know, a rebellious counterculture. Yeah, you know, and it's taught in the New Testament as well. Peter reminds us that we're strangers and pilgrims, mm-hmm. or aliens, or exiles. He uses some word like that in First Peter two eleven. Meaning, you know, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Uh, so we don't live like everybody else does. Yeah, and I think this is a question we'll we'll get into a lot more when we talk about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den, when we talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up to the king. You know, like the question there is, well, are they being submissive to the authorities? Are they just rebelling against authority? And it's... It's not they're not openly walking around Babylon. It's not like Daniel got to Babylon and, you know, the king tries to put him in his palace and Daniel didn't go, I refuse to accept anything from you because you are a foreign ruler. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they don't have that kind of an attitude. They are they are submissive, but when it does come down to breaking God's law Right. That is when... That's a line they will not cross. That is when... And it, they're not 
calling for everyone else to take up arms and murder everyone in Babylon and take over Babylon. Because, this, frankly, that wouldn't accomplish anything. Yeah, they are having their... And it's not as quiet there, but the spirit of it still is a quiet, peaceful spirit of, uh, I'm not going to bow down to your idol. You can yeah. throw me in the furnace if you want, but I'm not going to bow down. They're not saying, I'm not going to bow down to your idol, and I'm going to go raise an army and come back and wipe you guys out. Mm-hmm. So and we'll see a lot of this in Daniel. Very interesting political applications. Because yeah. he'll, he'll go to this king who wanted to throw him in a lion's den or throw him in a fiery furnace and say, Oh, king, live forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, he doesn't want you to live forever. Uh, yeah. Or uh, may, may this, may this uh, prophecy be for your enemies and not for you. Yeah. Uh, so Daniel, the Jew, prayed for Babylon. And you remember Jeremiah yeah. telling the captives... Pray for the welfare of your captors because their welfare is your welfare. Your welfare is yeah. tied up with their welfare. It's very interesting stuff, and I'm I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to seeing it in other ways throughout the book of Daniel. Oh, yeah. Um, one last thing. We must have faith like Daniel in knowing that if we follow God's ways our lives are going to get better because he is in control. That's the hardest thing to do when all the circumstances seem to be against you to remind yourself God is in control. He has this. He sees the end. I can't see the end, but he works all things together for those that love him, for those who are the called according to his purposes. That's an important point mm-hmm. that Daniel never seems to lose sight of. You know, this this is the easiest challenge he's faced. Yeah. We're going to get into some rough stuff yeah. before we get to the end of chapter 6. Yeah, that's great. I don't think I have anything to further add to that. I don't, I don't yeah. really know what I can well, say. Well, and but. it's, I mean, we're going to be talking about it throughout the whole book of Daniel. So that means we need you to continue tuning in, um, continue supporting the podcast, you know, give us some feedback. Um, you can email us and find all our contact information at the66.net. You can check us out on Twitter, the66podcast is the handle there. Go on Facebook. Uh, we haven't been doing a whole lot on Facebook, but we need some likes, right? Yeah, so we need some likes. Go to Facebook. And hit reviews. One click. And uh, most importantly, leave us a review or a rating at the very least. On iTunes, uh, we're like number four when you type in the '66 podcast. Yeah, we is, had bumped up, and we yeah we got back, back down. Spot now that may be our fault. We didn't record much during the holidays, and yeah, we didn't record much during. The I holidays. don't know how all that works, and uh, but but we got bumped down. Hey, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Humility. We're not mad. We're not mad at you. But get over there and do your job. <laughs> Alright, so new book, we're real excited, we're reinvigorated, and uh, look forward to talking to you about Daniel chapter 2 next week. Bye.